Well, it's great to have you here today. This is uh, Back to Church Sunday. Man, I'm, I'm just excited. Uh, I, I, love, I love living in the UP. I do. I love living in the UP. Um, I didn't get to uh, enjoy a whole lot of it, um, you know, over the last couple of days as far as like, you know, getting out and, and doing crazy stuff. But I'll tell you what, this, you just, the rest of the world doesn't understand the blessing that we get to experience living in the UP. And uh, I'm just glad to be here today. <clears throat> we're in a series that we're calling I Will. In this series, what we are really doing is we are looking at how we relate to the church. And now we realize, of course, that the church that we're in this morning just happens to be Silver Creek Church. But this, this message could literally be preached in any, any, uh, any location in, in America or, or literally the world. Um, this, it's, it's how we relate to the church and what our attitude should be as part of the local church, wherever that may be. And my message today is I will defer. And I, I wanted to use defer because I, I didn't want to maybe necessarily use the same old word that I might normally use there. But let me, let me just take you into this word defer for a second. It means to submit humbly to another, to yield to, to submit to, uh, to give way to and surrender to, or to capitulate to, to acquiesce to, to respect, and to honor. When we become part of the body of Christ, I think this is something that maybe we don't think about um, right away. We may not think about it for years. We may not think about it ever, but I want to challenge us today that when we become a part of the body of Christ, when we become part of his church, wherever that is, we give up our right of preference. It's just a concept. It's It's a truth a biblical truth about, from God's word about his church. It's no longer about us. We're here to meet the needs of others, to serve, to give, and to sacrifice. Mark chapter 9, verse 35. I want to start there this morning. Sitting down, Jesus called the 12 and said, Anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and the servant of all. That word serve and servant occurs in uh, the Bible, at least in the New International, it occurs 115 times. Now, let me give you a comparison by giving you another word that's a pretty important word, and then I'm going to tell you how many times that word occurs in Scripture. How many of you would agree that grace is a pretty important concept in, in a word in God's word? Is that all right with you? I'm pretty okay with that. Grace occurs 114 times. So one time less than serve and servant in the scripture. I thought that was just sort of interesting. I I would have expected that there would be many more times that the Bible would talk about grace, but that's not the case. The word serve in scripture is interchangeable in the Greek with the word ministry. We use the term ministry in our culture and we really elevate that word, okay? If someone is in the ministry, 
okay? They're, they're in a calling or they're in a job and they've been elevated to a position. But that word is the same word as the word servant and serve in the Greek. And it's the word diakoneo or diakonos. And, and it's the, even the term that we get the word deacon from. The same thing. A deacon is a servant. And so someone in the ministry is a servant. So we use those, those literally interchangeably. And, it, and minister means to actively serve. And literally what it means is to be kicking up dust because we're on the move. Now, I, I got to tell you, if there's one word picture I want you to hold on to today, that's it. Kicking up dust because we're on the move. That when we are serving, we are, we are busy doing what God would have us to do, that we're literally kicking up dust as we do so. Caring for the needs of others as the Lord guides in an active, practical way. And this past week, we saw a little bit of dust being kicked up in our community as we took part in in Serve Week as we began actively serving the needs of others. And this sermon series is about our relationship and how we relate to the body of Christ and others that we are in connection with in the church. And when it comes to serving, I think the place I want to start right now is what would what would Jesus do if he were a part of Silver Creek Church in Harvey, Michigan in the year 2018? What would Jesus do? What would be what would he be engaged in and, and what would he do? The year was 1989. There was a group of teenagers from a reformed church in Holland, Michigan. I did not know that fact about the story that I'm going to tell you. But these kids were uh, meeting in their youth group and they were studying a book called In His Steps by Charles Sheldon and interestingly was written in 1896, which you don't normally think of kids wanting to study an old book, but that's what they were studying. And those students, there was a question that began to form in their minds and that question was, was on what should we base our daily decisions and choices in our life? And the question became, what would Jesus do? Now their youth leader was going to come up with a t-shirt to give the kids so that they could wear it and people would see it and they would be reminded and, and there would be a challenge. But t-shirts were a little expensive and at the time, friendship bracelets, I think they were, they, they might have even been the rainbow colored ones at the time, were very popular. And so this youth leader decided to have the, the letters WWJD printed on that a friendship bracelet and give it to the kids and challenge them to wear it every day for 30 days. Do you realize that there have been tens of millions of those bracelets that have been sold with those letters on it? What would Jesus do? Started by a bunch of teenagers on his way up to Jerusalem to face his arrest. I want you to get the timing of this, okay? 
we are talking less than a week, our, our, what we're gonna call a week, a seven-day week, less than a week from his crucifixion. Are you with me? You got the time frame down? On his way up to Jerusalem, Jesus is, is confronted by one of the, 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 the mother of two of his disciples, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, they were known as the, th- the sons of thunder, okay? Now, I grew up in church. Now, what the, the phrase sons of thunder mean to you may be different than what it meant to me as a young person growing up in the church, but I used to try to imagine what was, how did they come up with that sons of thunder name? Did their dad have a loud voice? Did he have a flatulence issue? I, I don't know. I just know that I really, I thought about that, and sons, their, their names were the, the sons of thunder. But there's actually a reason, because in Scripture, when Jesus was going through Samaria, and they gave him a hard time, James and John came up to Jesus and said, hey, Jesus, you want us to call fire down from heaven on these people? Are they giving you a hard time? Just tell us, we'll call down fire right now. We'll call down the storm. We'll call down the thunder and lightning on them and they'll be destroyed. So Jesus called them the sons of thunder. Well, their mother approached him and their mother asked Jesus a question. And her question was this, Jesus, when you come into your kingdom, when you get this whole thing set up and, and going, and, and I, you know, since my boys have been kind of in this thing from the ground floor, would it be possible if they might be able to sit on your left and on your right? That was her question. Mom, don't approach the boss and ask if your kids can be promoted to vice president. But that's exactly what she did. She, she wanted her sons to be given the highest position in the kingdom. Now, the problem is that this wasn't necessarily a private moment. Other people in the disciples, you know, the other 10, they actually heard some of this conversation, okay? Now we've got a problem, all right? Because now... If I'm Peter and I hear James and John's mom asking Jesus if they can be the number one and two guys in the kingdom of God, what am I going to say? What am I going to say? I'm going to say, hey, what's wrong with me? How co- could I be? Why can't I be in one of those two positions? I want you to understand this. We are talking about less than seven days from his crucifixion and Jesus practically has mutiny on the bounty with his connect group, okay? To put it in Silver Creek terms, his little connect group of 12, they're literally about ready to to throw down and get in a fight. You know, Jesus is a phenomenal leader, but I'm telling you, he had a problem on his hands. He had an incredible problem. They, they were getting ready to fight. I want you to imagine being Jesus, and you've been with these dimwits for three years. Say, Pastor, you're being disrespectful. No, they were idiots. They did great things under the power of the Holy Spirit, but man, they were, they were losing their minds. 
three years, you're a few days from the cross, at which time you will be turning over the church to them. And they're having this argument. I, you know what, man, when he prayed in the garden and he sweat great drops of blood, he knew that, I mean, he knew the church could be in trouble. Because I'm leaving this to these guys. This was rough. I'm telling you, this was serious stuff. So he sits them down and he reminds them that everybody out there in the world is out for numero uno. You you realize that, right? Everybody in the world is out for number one. But Jesus said, not in my kingdom. That's not how, in fact, he said as a part of his radical teaching on the Sermon on the Mount, he talked about uh, a Roman law that when a Roman soldier conscripted you to carry his load, which was legal for one mile, they could do that. If a Roman soldier came across you, he could say, Herb, you're going to carry my, my pack. You're carrying my shield, my stuff. And you would have to carry it for a mile. And then he would come across Matt, and he'd say, Matt, I'm, you're gonna, you, by law, you have to carry my load for one mile. Jesus said, when someone forces you by law to carry their load for a mile, take it too. That's what Jesus said. He was, why? Because we're giving up our rights. We're giving up our preference. Jesus is the founder of the church. Here's what he said, Matthew 20, starting at verse 26. Instead, whoever wants to become great, Among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first must be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus is the founder of the church. It belongs to him. He said, I will build my church. And if we want to become great in the kingdom of God, the way we do it is to be willing to serve just like Jesus did. Jesus said, I didn't come to be served by other people, but I came to serve. I came to give my life. Think about that for a moment. Literally, Jesus was God in heaven, and he chose to be born as a man to serve. You say, how is that possible for us to actually do that? How can we defer? How can we give up our preferences in order to serve the needs of someone else? Well, let me help you out with that by this next point that I want to make, and that is that we have to have the right attitude. Now, there's a a line from a movie that I really love. The movie is based uh, in uh, Alexandria, Virginia, and it was during the time of desegregation. It was based in a high school called T.C. Williams. And in that high school, they brought an all-black school together, and they brought an all-white school together. And they, they began to work, and the football team was really the first group that had to come together. And the captains of the team were a guy named Gary Bertier and Julius Campbell. And they were having an argument because these teams were not getting along. These players were not able to unite. And there's a line from that movie, and I love the line, and it's, it's in Remember the Titans where he says to the other captain, he said, Attitude reflects leadership, captain. That's what it's all about. So when we think about 
What should, what do we need to do when it comes to our attitude? I believe that Paul tells us very specifically, and he was a phenomenal leader in the church, and, and he says in Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, he says this, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of each other. I want you to imagine for a moment getting this kind of encouragement. Okay, you, you got that? This encouragement, this feels more almost like a butt kicking to me than encouragement. But if you got that kind of encouragement from, excuse me, from the Apostle Paul, a spiritual giant, someone who has, in, has gone through and suffered incredible hardships, and he said, do nothing out of selfishness. Value others above yourselves. It's incredible. He said, look out for other people, but Paul doesn't just, just tell them that and then leave it there. He gives them uh, an example to follow. As he goes in, in chapter 2, beginning at verse 5, he said, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. In other words, have the same attitude as Jesus did. Who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in, a, in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Jesus chose to live as a man without the benefit of his deity. He, had actually, he actually had to make himself nothing. Think about that. Are we willing to make ourselves <laughs> excuse me, nothing? That's what Jesus did. <clears throat> Excuse me. He made himself nothing. He took on the form and nature of a human servant. Okay, some people are born and that's what they're born to. We're talking about God. We're talking about Jesus having lived in, in, in God's kingdom as the Son of God. He is not God the Father. He's not the God the Holy Spirit. He's God the Son. And he chooses to make himself into the human form of a servant. That tells us a little bit about his attitude. He completely humbled himself and his, his humility, his obedience went all the way to death. And not just that he died of a ripe old age of just the fact that his organs gave out, but he submitted to death on the cross, literally the worst form of torture known to man. Our attitude should be like that of Jesus who willingly became a servant over the last couple of weeks, I've, I've referred to a survey done by LifeWay Research that found 9 out of 10 churches in America are either in decline or growing slower than the rate of their population. I shared that the number one characteristics of declining churches is an inward focus. I did a little more research and came across 
uh, an article by a guy named Mark Clarensau, and, and Mark has studied churches for years throughout the country with a team of people, and he's come up with a few things that I want to share with you really briefly. He agrees with Rayner that declining churches are consistently inward-focused churches. They lose their other focus modeled by Jesus, and he identifies a number of signs of an inward-focused church that I want us to avoid at all costs. Let me share them real quickly. Number one, you attend church wondering what you'll get rather than considering what you'll give. Number two, you know how to celebrate your faith but lack confidence to share it. Number three, people guard their preferences and expect new people to adapt to established ways. Number four, congregation members aren't friendly to Sunday guests. That's a greeter's job. Number five, the pastor spends 90% of his time caring for and ministering to the existing congregation. Number six, congregation is more likely to ask, what about me, than what about them? Number seven, less than 10% of the congregation brought a friend to your church last year. Talk of serving Jesus focuses, number eight, primarily on serving at church on Sundays rather than ways to serve him Monday through Saturday in the community. Your church, number nine, is active, but your city doesn't know or care about what you're doing. And number 10, your local church's most powerful day of the week is Sunday rather than any other day of the week when your congregation is dispersed into your community. Man, do any of these characteristics match up with the attitude that Jesus displayed? And the answer is absolutely not. It was John Bunyan who wrote Pilgrim's Progress who said, If you have not lived today successfully unless you've done something for someone who can never repay you, thank you, that is living successfully. So, do we as a church possess the right attitude? Are we willing to defer to others? How can we get there? Well, I think we need to change the culture. But how can we change the culture? And I'm not just talking about the culture in America and in the church in America. I'm not talking about even I'm talking all the way down to us personally. This, this reaches the whole gamut, but we, we need to think about changing the culture. If 90% of the churches in America are in the same boat, there must be a cultural problem. There must be a systemic problem in the church. So how can we change that culture? We say, man, it's, it's just too big of a job for us to handle. But let me ask you this question. What about you? What about me? Can we change that? Are we able to change those things? Maybe we can't change the culture of every declining church in America. Maybe we cannot single-handedly even change uh, the culture of the church that we may attend. But I will guarantee you this, that we can change one very significant thing. I can change me and you can change you. And together we can begin to change the culture in our church and in our churches. 
Paul says this in Romans 12.10, be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. We can determine that we will put others ahead of ourselves. I want to leave you this morning with four steps that are going to help us transform our attitude towards serving others. And these things, I think, are some pretty important things that we can do that are going to help us change the culture in our own hearts, to change the culture in our churches, to change the culture of the church even in America. Number one, if you're taking notes, uh, these are good. You'll be able to use these. Number one, make a commitment to stop criticizing and judging everything that happens in the church. Doesn't matter what it is, just, just make that commitment that you're going to no longer criticize and judge people in the church or what the church is, is, is doing as a whole. Does that mean you can never share a different opinion? No, absolutely not. But there's a difference in sharing an opinion and just being critical. When we are critical and when we are judging, there's nothing that's positive that's really happening. I want to encourage each of us because I think we can make up our mind today to stop being critical, to stop judging others, and to stop judging the church as a whole. Romans 14, 13, Paul says this, Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. I want to encourage you today. Don't just point a problem out in the church. Become part of the solution in the church. There's a big difference. Everybody can see the problems because we're humans. We can, we can see the, the toothpick in someone else's eye when we've got a phone pole in our own eye. Are you with me? We can do that, and, and we can say, hey, you need to get rid of that toothpick out of your eye, and when we turn our head, literally that phone pole wipes everything out in its path, you know, and we can't see that. What's going, you know, we can't even, we need to, we need to make that determination to stop doing that, become, become part of the solution rather than just pointing out the problem. Number two, begin to ask God daily to give you an attitude of serving others. Let me ask you this. Imagine what God would think should you ask him, not just once, but continue to ask him to put in you an attitude that is like the attitude in his son, Jesus. How do you think your God would respond? That would be like you listening to your kid talk to another kid using wisdom that you had dropped on your child. And they've now personalized it and they're spreading it to someone else and you're just like, oh, oh, I can't, I can't believe it. It's finally working. That's, what, that's how God the Father, he would be so excited that we would be praying that prayer. I guarantee you, he is gonna wanna give us that attitude. He is gonna wanna do that. So when we begin to ask him, 
when we begin to ask him for that, that attitude that it would be like Jesus. I guarantee you he's going to give it to us. Galatians 5.13 says, You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. Do not use your freedom to indulge in the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. God, help me to serve others humbly in love. I believe that God would only be too happy to answer those kinds of prayers in our lives. Number three, Pray every day, every day for your church. Pray for people that attend church with you, whether you know them or you don't know them. Pray for church leadership, whether you know them or don't know them, whether you like them or don't like them, pray for them. You say, Pastor, why in the world would you want me to do that? I'll tell you why, because it is impossible for you to consistently pray for your pastor or for your deacons or for your fellow church people and not fall deeply in love with them. It's impossible because God's going to give you a burden in your heart. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 19, Paul says, pray also for me that whenever I speak, words would be given me so that I will fearlessly make them known the mystery of the gospel. Paul was coveting their prayers. And as we pray and intercede for one another, we will grow to love each other more than ever before. Number four, commit to serve others through the ministry of the church for at least an hour every week. Say, man, I, that's a big sacrifice. I was thinking about this. I didn't do the numbers, but I'm, I'm wondering if we, if we looked at our time in relationship to a tithe to the Lord, how much that would come out to in the process of a week. But think about it. Giving an hour of serving a week. There's so many opportunities through the ministry of your church you, you don't have to think up something new, but if God lays something new on you, great. Let's get others to join in. This last week, this last week we had we had ponies and we had ponies and calves and we had ducks with hair like our president. It was it was the softest, fluffiest yellow hair I've ever seen on the top of their heads. We had a potbelly pig. Why? To touch neighborhood kids. That wasn't my idea. The board didn't come up with it. Somebody that has all those animals said, I think those kids would love this. They came from everywhere. They came from everywhere. And guess what? They're coming back this Wednesday because they know the same thing's going to be there. We can serve others. Commit to serve through the ministry of the church. It's a starting point. It's only a beginning point. But when we begin to get involved through serving, we tend to look at the church differently. Peter said in 1 Peter 4.10, Each of you should use whatever gift you've received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. When we use our gifts to serve others, we we that serve are blessed, and so are those that we serve. The whole idea of serving is kicking up dust as we're on the move, caring for the needs of others as the Lord guides in an active, practical way. Friends, as the church, 
It is time for us to be, to be just about serving other people. For years, the church has been criticized for being hypocritical. We're still the same people. We still have the same flaws. The church has been accused of so many things. But you know, I believe that if we'll focus on serving the needs of others, those that are really looking for the truth will be able to see it evident in our lives because we're serving. Friends, I believe that Jesus has called us to be his church, to defer, to serve the needs of others. And I believe that he's called this church to be alive.